So, um, I make no apology this morning. We're going to have a bit of theology, all right? Actually, we have theology every week, don't we? If, we, if we're looking at the Word of God, it's a study of, of God, so we're having theology this week. It's, um, it's, I think it's taken from John Mark Comer's book, um, God's, God Has a Name. Um, so it's a bit of an outline from that. But um, John Mark Comer is a theologian and an academic, and I am not. So I'm a pastor teacher. So what you'll get is you'll get John Mark Comer theology mixed in with pastoral stuff. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the freedom and liberty that we have here. Liberty to hear, liberty to believe, liberty to belong, to behave, to change. The freedom that we have is amazing. Jesus, you said, if you hold to my teaching, then you will truly be my disciples and you shall be free. And that's what we want. We want freedom, don't we? Amen. We want freedom. All of us sitting here want freedom. So this one is called God Has a Name. It's written out Elohim. I'm not... I'm not Jewish, uh, but we pronounce it Elohim, okay? And this describes who God is. So I'm going to turn to Exodus 34, 6 to 7, and it's amazing who he is. We take it for granted that he's good, but we need to understand it's who he is intrinsically. No other God. We're going to be looking at no other God is like our God. No other God is like our God. Let's set the stall out. 34, 6, and 7, it says this. Obviously, Moses has chiseled out the two stone tablets, and now the Lord is going to come down in a cloud, and he's going to stand, and he's going to proclaim his name. I can only imagine that Moses would fall on the ground, and he did. So he, verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. This name, Elohim, describes who God is. So why does God have a name? Why isn't it sufficient to say... God. What's wrong with just God? Well, the short answer is there's many gods. Elohim actually can be singular or it can be plural. It can be God. And when it's used with Jehovah, it's I am the Lord, the God. But Elohim is God or many gods. So in Genesis 1, we read this, don't we? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the bedrock of our faith. Our God is the creator God. There is no other God that can create. He is the creator God. And this is the bedrock of our faith because when we witness to what Jesus has done and the devil tells us it's a load of rubbish in our minds or, you know, what grounds do you stand on? The reality is that everybody we're talking to belongs to God because he created them because nothing that has been created has not been created by him. Okay. So, <clears throat> so here we go. Exodus 7 
when God confronts Pharaoh with 10 plagues, he's actually confronting 10 gods. And when I say gods, it's small g. He's 10 gods that the Egyptians worshipped and revered. And when you get to the god of Ra, the god of Ra is the sun god, and he was the most revered. He was considered the king of all the gods. But not only that, he was considered the creator god. So what did God do? He brought darkness for three days that could be felt. Where's their God then? Where's their creator God then? Nowhere to be seen. Exodus 12, 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods, Elohims. I will bring judgment on all the gods. You've got to get this, on all the gods. God is out to destroy the gods of this world. And I'll bring judgment on all the gods. Slide three is 15, Exodus 15, 11. He says this, it says this, a song of Miriam. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Who is like you in all the world? Um, and Exodus 12, 12 um, says that he'll bring judgment on all these gods. And Miriam's saying, who is like you? Who among the Elohim is like you? In Psalm 97, verses 7 and 9, verse 7 says, worship him, all you gods. Now, I want you to start to get a picture of the heavenly realm. This is not normal thinking, but start to think that there's something going on that we can't see, because that will set the stage for now. Worship him, all you gods, Elohims. You are exalted above all gods. Okay. Um, slide four, we'll go to Exodus 20, verse 1 to 5. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. No other gods before me. I want you to get this. These little gods, they're not little in a sense. They are real. They have real authority and they have real power. And they're probably exerting their power over you right now. That's how serious they are and that's how devious they are. And that's why we have to get a grip, which is a spiritual term. Okay, so 1 Kings is, um, slide 5, 1 Kings 11, 1 Kings 11 verses 1 to 7. This is interesting. King Solomon is thought to be the wisest king that we've ever had, and he was. But the problem with Solomon was he disobeyed God in one area, and that one area meant that he, he finished his life 
on a bad wicket. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign wives <coughs> because um, besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He followed Ashtoreth. Now I want you to notice that they have names. These gods have names. They have personalities and they have names. He followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab. And when I think I've told you this before, but it's worth mentioning when we went to Philippi, it's very interesting that um, Jesus stood in front of this um, uh, terrible place, terrible place. There were three huge temples to these gods. And set in the walls were these alcoves with shelves. And next to these three huge temples was a fast-flowing, very deep river. And it was called the Gates of Hell, or Gates of Gehenna. And the people would place their babies for offerings to Molech, and they would place them on those plinths. And then the day after, they would take those babies off there, those dead babies, and they'd throw them into that fast-moving river. So these gods demanded sacrifices. So they still, they still have power. Notice these gods have names, like I say. They are entities. They have personalities. They can reason, and they are still around. Okay. The Western mind has a great problem with this. If you ask James Cato, you would see that many countries do not have our mindset. James Cato had a lady once in his church that stayed pregnant 12 months because the witch doctor had put a curse on her. Okay. So, slide 6, Deuteronomy 32. This is interesting. Don't know where Deuteronomy is. I'm sorry. We'll all have to go home. Deuteronomy 32, 16 to 18 says this. They made him jealous with their foreign Elohims and angered him with their detestable idols. They sacrificed to demons which are not God, gods they had not known, gods that recently appeared, gods your father did not fear. You deserted the rock who fathered you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. Big deal to God, big deal to God, that he is the creator. He alone stands alone, and he alone is our father God. In Daniel, we see that there is a real fight, a real fight in the heavenlies. It's not imaginary. It's real. Uh, Daniel 10, verses 12 to 13. Then he continued, 
um, the angel talking to Daniel, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I have come in response to them. But the prince of, Pers of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. So there you go. It's a real fight, and there's a real fight. Psalm 8 um, says this. It says um, that God is in the great assembly, and he gives judgment among the gods. And that's really interesting because he, he talks to these gods, and he tells them what they should be doing. It's, this is a bit beyond me. I must admit, it's... You know, some scriptures, you just they're a bit out there, and you have to really allow God to add to your understanding. Oh, Lord, it says, um, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise because of your enemies. This isn't the right one, is it? It says God resides in the great assembly. I wonder if it's 18. Anyway, take it from me. That, um, that God resides in the great assembly and he gives judgment among the gods. And he says, and it says there, it says, rise up, O God, and judge the earth, for all nations are your inheritance. And it's as if Jesus then comes to fulfill that prophetic prayer because in Mark 5, we have, we have the story of the um, demoniac who's living amongst the tombs. So Mark 5 says, they went across the lake, and this is, this is really important, the way you put the Old Testament and the New Testament together. You've got to get it into your head that Jesus was with God before the foundation of the earth. It even talks about Jesus, the Lord, delivering his people from Egypt. It's like you have to change the way we think. It's not enough to just get a little bit of scripture every day, a little bit of Psalms and a little bit of this and that. You have to start to be able to understand what's going on. It's good to think that it's all right. I'm all right. I'm saved and I'm safe. It's good to think that. That's absolutely good. That's absolutely fine. But if you're going to have understanding, you know, the Bible says get understanding. Though it costs you everything, get understanding. So that's why I went to Bethel. That's why I went to Toronto three times. That's why I went to Bogota. I wanted to get understanding, and it cost me money. They went across the lake of the region of the Gerasenes. Gerasenes was a pagan nation. It was outside of Jerusalem. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him, supernatural strength. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Do we have self-harming now? Do we have self-harming? Who, who does that? I've got a friend who's working with somebody who's just become a Christian. And it's like they go into a frenzy and they harm themselves. And when they've finished harming themselves, they come to their senses. Where does that come from? We call it imbalance of, of hormones or something like that. No, no, you can't explain everything away. 
You can't do that. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And then he said, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into there. He did and 2,000 pigs committed suicide. They went over the hill and killed themselves. They didn't want to go back to the abyss. They didn't, they, I don't understand. But I tell you what, I believe and I know. And therefore I will understand. There is a spiritual realm. When I got delivered of rocking, I didn't scream. I didn't huff and puff. It just left me. A prayer of authority completely delivered me of a demon of rocking that I'd been rocking for 32 years, and I never rocked from that moment on. That is powerful. I couldn't have got that at the doctors. I couldn't have got that at psychiatrists. I couldn't have got that through behavior patterns. I couldn't have got it. We have to understand that Jesus is on a collision course with all the powers of darkness in your life, in my life, and in the world. In 1 John 3.8, it talks about this. It talks about this, and I'll give a testimony in a minute. It's 1 John 3.8. The reason, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's works. I remember Dick was there. I remember being in our house and Roger had collapsed many times. That's his party trick. And, um, and I remember, I can't, you know, be sound super spiritual to say I went into a trance. I didn't. I just had a vision. And while we were praying in our front room, I had this vision. And on this, in this vision, I saw, uh, a, a tombstone, a grave headstone. And on it sat an imp. And I just, it was really weird because I, I was fully engaged with the, what was going on, but I could, I could, I had this picture and I called this imp over and it sat on my lap and I opened my Bible in the vision and I said, do you see what it says here? It says the son of God appeared to destroy all the devil's works and that's you. So you get out. And at that time, Roger got delivered of a spirit of death. Satan hates the word of God. He hates worship. He hates obedience, and he hates you to suss out that he's behind a lot of the stuff that you're going through. I want to pause for a minute. What havoc are you going through that could, that could be the enemy? Do you find you're having, yourself, having rows and arguments with yourself before you've got to the bathroom? Do you find that a person bothers you or somebody at work or an issue gets on your nerves and it plays and plays and plays on your mind? Do you find yourself constantly ill? Do you find yourself not being able to think straight? Do you find yourself not being able to concentrate in church? Do you find that the things of the Spirit are boring to you and hard work? It's all his work. You find your kids aren't, aren't behaving and you're having all sorts of attacks. You've got to understand that and recognize that the devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. I've been into some homes and I feel, I can feel the force of hatred, discord, 
jealousy, factions. I can feel the fractured relationships, and it's awful. My daughter-in-law first came to our house, and, um, and Richard wasn't a believer, and she wasn't either. And she said she was overwhelmed with the love that she felt in the home. You can feel it. You can sense it. You can discern it. You can feel it when you're trying to talk to somebody and you know the enemy is trying to cross your language. And then you have to really just say, Jesus, I want to win this person. I don't want to fight this person. I want to win this person. And then the Holy Spirit comes in. Because sometimes even you just approach somebody and they go, what? What do you want? Well, defensiveness goes up. Walls go up. Have you ever seen that? You know, a teacher or a, or a friend or, or, or even a family member. You just want to say something. And, what? What do you want? So, and you just have to pray because there's something going on that's trying to affect your relationship with that person. We have an en- This is the deal. We have an enemy on planet Earth. He's on this earth. He can be in this room. You could have brought your friend with you. He could be sitting with you. And you're happy to have him there. Planet Earth is a target of evil activity. And if we do not get some understanding, we'll be casualties. We can become casualties. 2 Corinthians says, the weapons of our warfare. Well, what does that tell you? We're at war. If we've got weapons of warfare, we're at war, aren't we? Okay. So modern Western thinking has a problem with this because much of his thinking has been shaped by so-called enlightenment of the mind. And we're into that now, aren't we? We're into mindfulness. There is no peace on the earth except through Christ. There is no escape from the devil through your hobbies and your, your fantasies. There is no escaping that he's on your mind and he's in your life because he, he operates in this world and we have to operate at a different level. We have to, I'll tell you at the end. Modern Western thinking is a, has a problem because much of his been thinking has been shaped by enlightenment of the mind. Materialism, that the materialist says, only what I can see, feel, touch, smell here, that's all that's real. Scientism is everything can be proved under a microscope. That's a quick one, but there you go. But, you know, in 1 Timothy 4, it says that we, um, that we, can, we can be led by deceiving spirits. Um, 1 Timothy, where's 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy 4.1 says this. The spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith... That could be me. And follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Demons are clever. God is not. He's wise. He's all-seeing, all-knowing. Clever is not what a word you would give to God. He is infinitely wise, all-knowing, all-seeing, all-pervasive, Everything else is a copy. Everything else is a a shadow. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a lie. It isn't real. 1 Corinthians 12.2 says this. 1 Corinthians 12. Now about spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that when you were unbelievers says pagans here, but a better translation is unbelievers, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. They don't speak to us. 
directly in that sense. Therefore, I tell you that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So we could we used to follow we used to follow the Prince of the Air when we were un, unsaved, ungodly. We were led astray by all different sorts of passions. Do you know if we don't control our minds, it will run away with us. We will say, oh, I don't know where that thought came from. Well, you better. Oh, I don't know why I thought about that. Well, find out why you thought about that. Get a hold of your mind. Get a hold of things that whisper condemnation and accusation to you. And don't wear it. Don't have it. So we were influenced by these demons, okay? And we don't want to be any longer. Very quickly, there are three popular worldviews, <clears throat> okay? Monotheism, God's on top of the mountain, and Jesus is the way up. Our Christians can be sucked in by that. God is not at the top of the mountain, and we do not go up to the mountain. I'll come back to that. Universalism, that's the biggest. One God, but not sure who it is. Well, it could be male, could be female, 20 arms, 30 arms, 40 legs, two heads, three heads. It can, be, it can hide behind mindfulness yoga, all that sort of stuff. Uh, all paths lead to God. Ah, isn't that nice? What a nice, comforting thought. We could all agree together. No, we blooming can't. We are exclusive. There is only one way to Jesus Christ, to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. He's made it like that. So it lumps in Mormonism, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Wicca, Jesus, all the same. I was listening to a Catholic teacher on contemplation, a very, very popular man, and another sidekick, Richard Raw, and another sidekick of his, uh, Richard somebody. And they actually said, we should keep the traditions of other faiths alive. No, we shouldn't. No, we shouldn't. I've never heard a Buddhist say we should keep the faith of Christianity alive. Have you? I've never heard Islam preachers tell us that Christianity is perfectly acceptable. Have you? We, sh we are not at war with human beings. We are at war with these lying spirits that hide behind people, strapping bombs to themselves and blowing people and kids up in, in arenas. You know, we, we are against the, the mind behind that. Who watched the 9-11? Who watched it? Who watched it on TV? Anybody? Can you put your hand up if you watched it? Did you think at first, like me, it was an accident? And then what did you think when the second one went in? Wasn't it devastating? Was it devastating? Did it, did it grip you and break your heart? The mind behind that is the mind behind you and me when we won't forgive. When we touch that, when we touch that stuff, we're touching the same stuff. When we hate, when we gossip, when we slander, it's the same mind behind it. We have to get it. All paths lead to God, and it's a mixture of religions from other nations. This, this, Richard Raw said this. He said, Jesus would be perfectly at home in Tibet, meaning with all these other gods. What is wrong with the man? What is wrong with the man? You know, he's got a lot of good things to say, and he's got an awful lot of crap. He's just absolutely awful. What does he mean? Jesus walking around with a prayer wheel? You really think so? Like, oh, dear God, he's so deceived. He's so deceived. 
It's not true. Anyway, we don't go for that, do we? We don't go for that. We don't go for all religions being mixed in together and all acceptable. They are not acceptable. And it's down to us to present the real, true Jesus. What about ancestral worship? You see, these... These enlightened people, they were believers, but they never had a relationship with God. So they picked up all the world religions as they went around. Ancestral worship from China, Islam from the Middle East, Hinduism from India, Buddhism. These are wicked gods teaching people, leading people into wicked idolatry. Wicked idolatry. Offering no goodness, no forgiveness, no mercy, and no freedom. No freedom, and they are an, these gods are an abomination to God. And that's what Jesus took on when he was on that cross. He took the full force of demons. He took the full force of these ancestral gods. He took it, and only God could take it. I really believe with all my heart that he lived and died as a man. What he suffered in that being his beard being plucked out and the thorns on his head. He suffered as a man, but when he went on that cross, he had to be God because no man could take the sins of the world. It says in Colossians that God himself in Christ was reconciling the world. A man could not take on the sins of the whole world. That's where the divine and the, and the human crosses over. I believe for me. I believe for me. That's my understanding of it. So whilst Westerners want to be open-minded and all-embracing, and let's say that it's all about we can all worship the same God. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. And people are losing their lives all across the world because they're doing that. And um, something that I, that I think is um, really important is that um, this thing about the mountain, it does not sound all right. A lot of stuff sounds all right. God is not a top of the mountain and Jesus is the way up to God. The issue is that God came down from the mountain. We never went up to the mountain. We cannot save ourselves. This is why our testimony is so important. God came down from heaven for us. We didn't go up. We didn't say, oh, I want to be saved today. We had not a clue. No one understands. No one seeks God. Read Isaiah. No one understands. All corrupt. The bowels are like open graves. They, they, can't, they can't think straight for two seconds. So I've got to go down and save them. So we have nothing in common. There's cosmic differences between what we really believed. So that's that. So God came down. So, Okay. That's the theology. What's the implication? This is massive. This is massive. The implication for us is we've got to fight. We have to fight. We have to fight the fight of faith. We have to fight. We have to forgive when we don't feel like it. Peter said, how many times shall I forgive? Seven times? Well, let's say 70 times seven. And if you run out, another 70 times seven. Forgiveness has to be a lifestyle because the enemy, once you've had a bad thought about somebody, he'll wear it like a path into your brain, into your very essence of who you are. And you've got to learn how. You've got to learn how to turn your back on the enemy and say, I forgive. I will consider. You see, if you don't consider others better than yourselves, the whole law. You know, when God gave the Ten Commandments, it was the ten words. The whole law 
is in the word. And the whole law is summed up in another way. It says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. So if you think it's right to criticize, moan, slander, gossip, if you think that's right, then have it yourself. Because if this is another trick of the enemy, a sanctimonious attitude. You know, the Bible, everything the Bible says is awesome. So it says, consider others better than yourselves. You know, if you don't, you'll be better than them. So you have to fight the fight for your mind. If you um, had half an hour, let me just take 10 minutes. If you look at Romans, you will see, I don't know whether this pre-post salvation, all I see it that it's me, okay? I, for I have the desire, Romans 7 rather, struggling with sin. We know that the law is spiritual, it says, in verse 14, but I am unspiritual when it comes to this. Sold as a slave to sin, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. I know that nothing good lives in that old nature. That old nature would save its skin and dob somebody else in and be first in the queue and take the best cream cake and want to be noticed. Nothing good lives in my old nature. That's in my sinful nature. For I have the, I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, and, and the Bible says that anyone who comes to Christ doesn't go on sinning. So it's just showing you that this battle rages within. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war. I remember being at a conference and deciding to give 100 quid into the, uh, into the uh, kitty. And then I thought, nah, 50's all right. I went out in the spirit and I heard God say, no, your first one was right. <laughs> see I'll mess and tamper and I'll go oh, it don't really matter does it uh, uh, uh. I talk myself out of it so but verse 23 but I see another law at work in the members of my body waging war listen it's not against flesh and blood I can't say this enough you have to win the fight at this level you have to. I heard Steve Hill once say, you have to step on the skulls of people to get to God. I didn't know what it meant. But I think what it meant was, let dead stuff, let dead stuff go. Get over it. Get over it and get to God. Get this dead stuff out of the way. We have to deal with personal stuff because of the cross of Jesus. Rabbi Zachariah says, make the cross of Jesus your aortic valve, your aortic um, artery. Because church is about Christ. It isn't really whether I enjoy the worship or I enjoy the teaching. It's whether Christ has added me to himself and whether I can be in the place that God has called me and I can hear what he's saying and grow. It isn't about flesh and blood. You have no power. Your opinion has no power over me unless I allow it to. 
Nobody's opinion of you matters if God says that you are loved and accepted by him. We don't have to come under a demonic spirit that constantly tells you useless or your size is wrong or your education's no good or you're a woman or you're young or you're old. You have to live above these nagging things and still allow God to speak. Still allow God to speak about those things. We have to allow God to purge us of our sins. There's a level of purging that goes on that all of our sin is forgiven. But all of our sin is still inside of us. When I went to Bogota, Cesar Costanolana said, every sin has to be repented of. And I thought, nah, surely not. But the more I go on, the more I go on, it's that look, it's that what I've seen, it's that word. It's, it's that taking something of somebody else's. It's amazing. You've got to be pure. You've got to come to the point where you're obedient, malleable in his hands, ready to pay the price to obey. Ready to pay the price. We're on a journey. Now, Ephesians is amazing. And I'll only mention this, but if you go home, Ephesians is all about the church. I'd hate to think what Charles would do if he did a Bible study on this. We'd be still here in 10 years' time. Ephesians is all about the church. He's thorough. You can, aren't you? You're very thorough. <laughs> um, but what strikes me is this, and I love it. I've never seen it before like this. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms. We are in the heavenly realms. And then it talks about being seated. It says, um, that power, and Dave Hogan thinks that if you believe that Jesus raises the dead, you should raise the dead also. You see, it's, it's doing what it says. What stops us doing what it says? When it says you shall cast out demons, you shall heal the sick, you shall raise the dead, what's the problem? The problem is the next thing you hear is the enemy saying you can't. It says here, uh, and this is incomparably great power for us who believe, that power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given to these Elohims, and not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God has placed all things under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. And it says... It says in verse 4 of chapter 2, but because of his great love, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God raised him up with Christ and seated us with him. All Ephesians about the church seated us with him above all rule. Now, isn't it interesting that he starts a letter like that and he ends a letter like this? This is how he ends the letter. Finally, finally, he says, if I can find finally, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. No, it's not. It's against these little gods. The same ones that were there in Egypt are still all over the world. Do you know, 
they take over, I don't think I've made this clear, they take over areas. My friend was praying for somebody in Ireland who's a dairy farmer, got saved on an alpha course, amazingly got saved, sitting with my friend crying and saying, I want to do a course with these people um, because I know what it's like to feel suicidal. He put a blog on, on his phone thing. Do you know how many hits he got for that? In rural Ireland, 25,000. 25,000 farmers felt suicidal and depressed. Why is, it on, why is it on farmers? Well, you can say they spend a lot of time on their own. Their work is very physical. It's very often down to them if they don't have a son. It's very demanding. Why, though? Well, it becomes on ethnic groups. There are places in Mexico, and this is huge subject. I've got to stop, you know, and I could go on for three hours. But there's places in Mexico where the police won't go because the cartels have taken over that ground. How do they do that? There's places in America where children will watch a shooting outside their door and be completely unmoved by it. Children. There are places of child trafficking. There are places of abuse. If you could take an aerial view, an aerial map, you will see that whole places get taken over. Why? Because of poverty, because of lack of love, because of the family breakdown. It's so basic. It's so basic when God says a man shall cling to his wife. It's so basic. And yet it is the absolute foundation of life. The children can grow up like that. Now I know, I know that life doesn't deal us easy blows and that we come through all sorts of things and you know of my history and I've done some wicked stuff and I have done much more wicked stuff than I've ever said from the front. Very, very wicked stuff. But I was part of his plan. Do you see what I mean? I was part of that plan. When the enemy got that... Um, Birmingham Pregnancy Advisory Bureau set up. I was sucked into that. I didn't even know what I'd said yes to till halfway through. The enemy takes the gods, Elohims, take over areas of this whole land. If you, if you watch, and we couldn't work out which one it was, whether it's Father of Lights or Holy Ghost, but one of those things, the guy who did the transformation videos, he talks about how these witch doctors go to a cave and they call on all the demons around them. And they all come. And they can take off the top of somebody's skull. Oh, we don't believe in that. It's true. It is true. Which doctors have great power? Do you remember that one where that, that humble, humble pastor went to see a witch doctor? And he would normally come out, but he was so afraid of this pastor. He had sent elephants into villages to kill people. He had, the, his wife had taken human sacrifices into the jungle to appease the gods. And when he turned up, it was lovely. Such a simple pastor, he just said, thank you, Daddy Father. Thank you, Daddy Father, that this is now your ground. Thank you, Daddy Father, that you've now taken over. That was it. That was the end of that witch doctor. That was the end. We have to stand and fight. We are in a fight. We are in a battle. That's where it ends now. You are loved of God. If you're causing havoc in your family, repent. If you're not loving, kind, teachable, repent. If you've had issues with people, made anybody's life a misery, repent. If you said things that are unkind, repent. If you have favorite children over one and the other, repent. If you have lied, repent. If you've had bad thoughts, repent. 
Have a lifestyle of repentance. It's great fun around here. Okay.